So this is the second talk in the series, as Annette said, on that theme, WCM, WCCM's theme this year of unified consciousness. And I've called this one, not two, not one. And I suppose it's really about two of the big questions in life. Question, who am I? And who is my neighbor? Who am I and how do I relate to everything else? I suppose it's a question that human beings have always asked themselves. This is a quote from John Maine to start off. It actually comes from the preface of his little book, Word Into Silence. So if you're like me and don't normally read the preface or the introduction, you probably miss it. <laughs> he says this, the beauty of the Christian vision of life is its vision of unity. It sees that all humankind has been unified in the one who is in union with the Father. All matter, all creation too, is drawn into the cosmic movement towards unity. That will be the realization of the divine harmony. Well, it's another one of those um, couple of sentences that is absolutely chock chock full of meaning, <laughs> really condensed, so I'll read it again. Beauty of the Christian vision of life is its vision of unity. It sees that all humankind has been unified in the one who is in union with the Father. All matter, all creation too, is drawn into the cosmic movement towards unity. That will be the realization of the divine harmony. Well, it's a way of speaking about a deep truth, things that people have tried to express in the great wisdom traditions of the world through the centuries. That at the heart of everything that is, there is a unity. That creation isn't just a lot of individual things all randomly scattered about, <laughs> trying to jostle around with each other. At the heart of it, at the center of it, at the essence of it, the deepest level of it is a oneness, a unity. Things all belong together. As though everything that is, the whole of creation arose from this original unity, almost this intensity of energy held in a single point or nothingness almost bursts out into creation, stuff arises. And that's where it's being drawn back to all the time. That's where it realizes its fullness is when it's drawn back into that oneness that's at the heart of everything. That unity is the deepest nature of things. 
and it's the way things are really meant to be, the way they work best, the way they're most fulfilled, the way they're most what they're meant to be, where they're most what they truly are, is when they're held in that unity. And that energy of unity is active. We can say, making it a bit more accessible, is love. That's the energy in it. It's love that draws things together. We know that in our everyday life. It's love that draws us together. Individuals, one-to-one, groups, communities. Often a messy love. But the more love, the more unity, the more oneness, the more togetherness. And when we meditate, we turn to that oneness. We make a turn within ourselves. As I said earlier, we draw away from the different things we're doing about, thinking about, worrying about, are concerned about, the things that come and go in our life that are fragmented. We leave them all but be for a while. And we make that inner turn into that deeper level of consciousness where we find oneness active in love. And we connect with that as best we can. Put ourselves and turn our wills and our lives into the care of that deep, deep unity, that deep center. And in that reconnecting with it, begin to experience what happens in us and between us. What difference does that love make? But if everything is one, what about me? What happens to me if I'm drawn into this oneness? I feel very definitely a self. There is no other me. You know, if I touch you, I know I'm touching you. I know you don't look like me. You don't act like me. What's going to happen to me if I am drawn into this oneness? Do I disappear? Do I lose my identity? Am I swallowed up? What happens? Because that would feel pretty scary to me. But John Main says, absolutely not. That will not ever happen. That's not what it's about. He says about those fine words like we had from the beginning. He said, what I've just said is this is not an abstract vision. It is filled with a deep personal joy. 
because within it, the value of each person is affirmed. No unique beauty will be lost in this great unification. Each will be brought to fulfillment in all. In union, we become who we are called to be. Only in union do we know fully who we are. So rather than getting lost in it, oddly, we become more ourselves in it. <laughs> it will always end up with the paradox in this meditation thing. And actually we need to, to be drawn into that oneness in order to discover who we really are and who our neighbor really is and how we relate to each other. It's all the opposite of what we might imagine. The more we come to realize that we are part of something much, much bigger, oddly enough, the more clearly we come to see all the different elements of it all. So rather than all sinking into some sort of bland, undifferentiated nothingness, things become clearer. The more we see that we are not separate from everything else, the more we find we love the unique beauty of everything else that's in front of our eyes. As though our vision gets clarified, we see things differently. Well, if that sounds a bit abstract, I wonder if it's true for you that the longer you meditate, the way you see things around you changes. These days when I go for a walk in the countryside, I don't just see a lot of green with a few flowers. <laughs> I discover I see, wow, what an extraordinary array of things there are in the hedgerow at spring here. So every time I go out for a walk, there's something new that's emerged, a new flower. And the colors seem more amazing than ever. I really see how yellow the yellow ones are and how blue the blue ones are and how pink the pink ones are. And not only that, I can see that the pink ones aren't all the same pink. <laughs> the whole thing just is much more amazing and much more joyful and much more wondrous. So rather than it all becoming some amorphous mass of oneness, everything just seems more gloriously unique and itself in its own particular way. And I find that with people too. People are trickier than flowers. But I more and more come to appreciate people are different. It's okay on the whole. Of course, when people are different, that causes us problems. <laughs> But more and more, I come to be amazed at differences between people, the uniqueness of the people I come across, how, how amazing their stories are, by which I mean something like this 
I was on the bus the other day and um, was sitting next to a lady uh, in her 80s, I would guess, grey hair, like you might say, like a lot of other 80-year-old English ladies with grey hair. And I suppose that's what I first saw was a, a lady, in, an English lady in her 80s with grey hair. Until I started to talk to her, I quickly saw what a fascinating person she was because she told me some of her story. And I was reminded <laughs> there is no such thing <laughs> as a sort of standard English lady in her 80s with gray hair. <laughs> Everyone has a marvelous, unique personhood and story. But that's the sort of thing I mean. That's what it begins to look like in our daily life. It's coming into the unity of things and discovering the amazingness of everything. And loving it because it's love that's at work. It's love I'm reconnecting with and love shows me how lovely everything is more and more. So the more we realize that we live in a much bigger world, which is brewing over with love, the more we see the more we realize what's around us, the more we realize our part in this big story. The more we begin to recognize where we fit in it, that we have a place in it. We have a unique place in it. We have our place in it. We have a unique meaning in it. We know who we are more. And we begin to realize how we relate to everything else. We begin to realize that we're not really separate from everything else, but we are distinctive and that the two things go together. And the longer we meditate and we keep on remaking that connection with that, center within us, which is the center of everything, with that level of consciousness where nothing is separate. The less possible it becomes for us to be able to bear just being little kings and queens in our own little empires. It just stops being enough for us. We just feel a call to be part of something much bigger, much more spacious and much more joyful. Talked last week about that homing instinct, that goosey nature we have, that instinct for God, that instinct here, we're talking about it as a, a oneness. It's already in us. We're made for it. We're made for that big home. That big home is our real home. And we can't really be properly happy anywhere else. 
Julian of Norwich, who I also quoted from last week, that 14th century English mystic, was quite sure that nothing but God is enough for us as human beings. Nothing but that big home, that big love, that big unity. We have that capacity for that bigness in us. It's pretty usual at some point for us to ask a question about the practice of meditation. Question of whether this sitting there twice a day, turning away from the world, looking in, whether it's self-centered or not. Sometimes people can't even start to meditate until they've addressed that question. Surely this is self-centered. And it's a really important question. Often after people have been meditating for a bit, that question arises, is it okay to do this or is it self-centered? And maybe that question arises from time to time until it's been well enough answered that we don't need to ask it anymore. And it's another, I think, deeply instinctive question. Coming home, as we talked about it last week. And you might say, what's that about coming home to what? We might say, well, coming home to yourself. Good starting point. But what if I come right home, make this journey all the way home? And when I get there, I discover I'm home alone. There's only me there. It's empty except for me. Wouldn't be home, would it? <laughs> it's not home to be isolated and on your own, to be out of relationship, to be disconnected from everything. Instinctively, we know that. To be self-centered doesn't work. It's a prison. Home like that is a prison. Shut away from everything else. So it's such a good question. Is meditation self-centered? Father Lawrence says, finding oneself is not a self-centered activity. To find oneself is to find oneself other-centered. Which is to say, in love. <laughs> to be other-centered, to be directed towards other people, is to love them. So in, in this spiritual way of coming home, when we find ourselves in this way, we always find ourselves with others in relationship to others, in closer relationship to others, other-centered, for others. We find ourselves more for others, less trapped in ourselves. But there's another question 
that I think arises in us as we continue to meditate. If I begin to go out of myself into this bigger space, into this bigger love, if I make that move, will I be safe? Is it a safe place to go? To let go of what I know, with what I'm familiar with, with what I've built my life on so far. I know it's a move into love, but actually love makes us vulnerable. Maybe it's easier, better to stay where I am who I am it may not be brilliant but at least I know it at least I know the way my life works even if I don't like it all maybe it's better to stay where I am just try and hold life together try and keep control of it and I think there is always a tension between that deeper consciousness that's drawing us out, that's drawing us beyond ourselves, that's drawing us into this bigger love, this bigger space, this unity, and what holds us back, the fears that hold us back. Who will I be if I let myself into this? If I surrender my life and my will, what will happen? How do I know? How can I trust it? So I think there will always, there is always a certain amount of tension and maybe that's a great deal of our distraction meditation actually. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that there's a tension in us. We're just human. It doesn't matter to God. It's just the way it is when we start. <laughs> Just normal human beings struggling with life and ourselves. Doesn't stop us from meditating. We just sit down morning, evening, keep on. Doesn't matter what's going on in our minds. And if we do that, if we keep on meditating, we find the courage to be faithful, and gradually we get into a habit keep on going there. We begin to see why the spiritual traditions talk so much about losing and finding, why there are so many stories about losing and finding in the gospels, why this losing and finding, why this letting go, why this surrender, this surrendering, what it's all about. Father Lawrence says about finding oneself, finding oneself can only happen if we are ready to begin to lose ourselves. So we get that same tension, it'd be great to find myself, but I'm not, I'm not so sure about losing myself in order to get there. <laughs> but it seems as though they have to go together. Perhaps it's reassuring to hear John Maine say, all you have to lose are your limitations, the things that hold you back, 
the things that keep you away from love, the things that keep you out of that spacious place, that unified place, the things that imprison us, that's all you have to lose. What we have to lose are the stories we tell about ourselves and our lives that aren't actually true. I read the other day um, a quote, or at least um, the gist of what someone said. He said, um, human animals are animals who believe the stories they tell about themselves, whereas non-human animals don't. <laughs> human animals are animals that believe the stories they tell about themselves. But as time goes on, you realize that the story you have about yourself and about your neighbor and your families and friends are not isn't actually the whole truth. You're not the person you thought you were. You're something different and better. You're more lovable than you thought you were. You're more forgivable than you thought you were. Our stories change. We lose some of the falsities of our stories and new stories emerge. There's a lovely quote attributed to, often attributed to Nelson Mandela, although in fact he was quoting someone else. He was quoting someone called Marianne Williamson. And she said, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? <laughs> That's not the story I tell about myself, I can assure you. <laughs> Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shining, whoops, about shining so that people about, sorry, let me say that again, it's on a page turn. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about not shining so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in all of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So as we persevere, that pull, the pull of home, the pull of oneness, the pull of that bigger space, the pull to know who we are, the pull to be free, pull to be in relationship, pull not to be isolated. The pull gets stronger. 
We know it's what we want. We know it's what we need. And the courage is given to us when we need it. And the trust grows. Our experience teaches us, yes, this is okay. This is good. I do feel as though I'm losing something, but our experience shows us that we've gained something. Something good has happened. And so we continue. In that quote that I started with from John Maine, he says, all matter, all creation is drawn into this cosmic movement towards unity that we will be the realization of the divine harmony. He loves the idea of harmony. It uses it again and again as a way of trying to speak about what we're doing. When we start, of course, we're not in harmony. We're not in harmony within ourselves. We're not in harmony with others or with God, or at least we have some harmony, but we recognize that there's a lot of fragmentation. But that deep essential harmony keeps on drawing us together in ourselves, drawing us together with others, and drawing us together into this life of God. Going to finish with again something practical and lived. Some of you might have come across this book that was published by WCCM in November called Meditation. Med What's it called? I'm looking at it backwards on my screen. Meditators on Meditation and Marriage: The Experiences of Those Who Do Both. So the book's exactly what it says. It's a collection of meditators who are married, um, talking about with tremendous openness and honesty about their marriage, their relationship, and um, what difference meditation has made to it. Well, that's very specific, but I think what's being said by people is relevant to all sorts of relationships, not just married ones. So I hope you'll find it helpful and um, of a bit wider application. So this is um, a little passage from one of the entries. It's difficult to speak about what difference meditation made to our marriage. I do know that our love just kept on running quietly deeper and less possessive. What did we learn in our 25 years together? I think we learned to recognize and accept that we were different people with different ways of seeing things, doing things, organizing things, different things that annoyed us, worried us and challenged us different ways of relating to others, different human needs, different gifts and ministries, different failings and different woundedness. This made it possible for us to see each other as works in progress, progress that was not ours to bring about. We each had to tread our own unique path, but together. What was not ours to do was to try and change the other to fit some ideal in our own imaginations. 
inevitably geared towards meeting our own perceived needs and assuaging our own fears. We were practicing that ever-repeating letting go and letting be, which meditation teaches us so directly. What was ours to do was a simultaneously freer and freeing, yet more demanding task to accept, love and support each other and to learn to discern the way of love. When patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control were needful. And when challenge or insistence on one's own needs was called for. So we're all works in progress <laughs> and always will be. going to turn to a little period of Lexio Divina. So we'll do it the same way that we did it last week. Got a, a few, few lines from um, Gospel of John, chapter 15. And um, I'll read it slowly. I'll read it five times, which seemed to work okay last time. So that the repetition can, you know, sort of fall, fall on you and let the words just fall on you um, to try and grasp them or hold on to them or work them out. Just let them fall on you, fall into your heart. Let them speak to you. Um, see what speaks to you. See what lands. <laughs> see what penetrates, what speaks to you. Um, and the only words you need are the ones that speak to you, the rest are for another time. You only need a little, we only need, a, we can only cope with a bit at a time. <laughs> the spirit knows what we need and we can be absolutely content with that. So whatever seems to come to you, then um, there'll be a little quiet while we're all together for you to allow that to do what it will in you. And then we'll break into um, breakout rooms, be five or six of us in a room, and we'll have 10 minutes. And then in the breakout rooms, just take the opportunity to go around. Um, you can, of course, you can keep silent if, if you'd like to, but if you want to, you can share what came to you, words or phrases or feelings, uh, maybe a little bit of what that's about, but obviously keep it quite brief. Um, and there won't be any discussion, just an opportunity for everyone to, to say out loud what's come to them um, and for everyone else to listen. I always find for myself that saying it out loud somehow makes it more real for me. Um, takes, takes it on to another stage sometimes. I don't know what I'm going to say till I've said it. <laughs> and I always find that listening to other people opens up other perspectives for me too. So it's just the sharing and listening, quite, quite simple. So this is from John 
chapter 15, and I'm going to read it five times. I am the true vine, this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. And again. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, 
you can do nothing. And last time, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. So I'll ask Sarah to divide us into three groups. I think eight minutes will be enough, Sarah. <laughs> 